I am pumped to kick off a four-week teaching series today called Compassion, that we're going to turn our compass towards others. And so I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or open up the one in your book rack. There's one there. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And a little bit here, we're going to begin in verse 1 and tell a pretty well-known story of Jesus that we just sang about. But before we do that, you know, this is a huge weekend in the history of our church. If you're new here, this church was started less than seven years ago. Our seventh birthday bash is coming up September 15th and 16th. Can't wait for that weekend. Uh, But we started in a home really near here. And anybody here from back when we used to meet in our, our house, is there anybody here this weekend? The Loomis is back there. Wow. Yeah, Loomis is glad you're here. You know, back when there was like 20 people uh, attending. And over the last seven years, we've seen God begin to reach a lot of new people for Christ. And we purchased this building three years ago, less than three years ago. We moved in here and, and it's been an incredible time as the church has grown and we've baptized hundreds of people and we've seen a lot of people come to, to faith in Jesus and all of this stuff. But now we feel like we know after the last three years of praying where our next steps are going. And so I'm going to share that with you. And my wife, she always gets mad at me that when we have a leadership weekend like this, I'm still going to preach a sermon, but uh, there is a lot we have to share for our church to be informed about that I always wait to the last five minutes and then rush through it. So I want to tell you where we're going as a church, that we're announcing today uh, the Compassion Campaign that we will have dinners in late September and early October. We had a consultant come in two months ago, and we had been praying and fasting about starting one campus in Fishers, and we announced in January we would be doing that, and we still intend to do that. But when we came in and the consultant told us that we could raise potentially millions of dollars We began to say, okay, what would be the best stewardship of this resources, and what doors has God been opening? And and while we feel called to go to the Fishers and Geist area, we began to see maybe there were other places that he was also calling us. And I shared last weekend that rather than starting one campus over the next few years, we intend to start four campuses. And that that would become separate churches within five years. The campus pastor would become the lead pastor, would have the Mercy Road name, would have our vision and values, it would have huddles and outposts to give away 50% of the resources one day outside the walls of the church, all the stuff that we do. But we would believe in the multiplication of other people because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Amen? And so, and when we shared all that, we got excited, and I want to give you the details of what that will look like, and I am going to do that towards the end of this message together, but I want to tell you that we intend to raise $3 million to start four campuses, which is the same number we were thinking about raising just to go to Fishers, and we decided, you know, a better use of the resources would actually be to start four campuses with the same amount of money. And that's how we are around here. We're kind of scrappy. You know, we said last week we're not the church that adds the $5 million wing to their children's ministry. What you saw is we finally finished our kids' space after moving into this facility uh, less than three years ago. You know, it looks really cool, doesn't it? But we were super scrappy with that. And the design firm that worked with us, they're like, I don't know how you're going to do this on this budget. And we figured it out, man. That's just how we do. And there are a lot of ways of doing church, but that's how we are. And so now what I want to share with you that all we're asking you to do is to pray and to fast over now the next like 36 days. And we asked you last week to begin praying and fasting uh, on Monday at five o'clock. So I guess maybe it's like 34 days. 
and we ask you to begin to pray and fast for 40 days. And some of you, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you're like, dude, I have missed a lot. <laughs> yes, you have, and, and it's just been crazy. A lot of this was unplanned, and God presented some open doors within the last couple of months. And so if you missed it, the devotional guide is on the website, it's on the app, and it's even on Facebook. Begin to pray and fast with us, even if it's for 30 days. And say, God, what would you have me do? And our theme passage for the Compassion series comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're unfamiliar with that story, God comes to Samuel, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, and three times he tries to speak to him. And Samuel doesn't hear him. And finally, in verse 10 of Samuel chapter 3, it says, The Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel, I'm trying to speak to you, he says. Then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. All that we're going to ask you to do over this time together uh, is to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, and to answer this question over the next four weekends together, Lord, what would you have me do to reach one more person for Christ, to demonstrate compassion to others in my life, to love the way Jesus loves? By the way, we're not going to make a financial ask at the services. We have those dinners for that, so we're not going to do any arm twisting, but we are going to ask big because we serve a big God with a big vision, and it's going to seem impossible to do what I'm going to share with you today. But as you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Some of you, yeah, you may go, man, I'm going to stretch myself in the area of generosity in a way I never thought possible in order to see this happen. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest spiritual things you've ever done. My wife and I experienced that the last time we did this. But I'll also tell you that some of you, God's going to go to reach one more person for Christ and to, to show compassion to others. You need to start praying for your own kids. Some of you need to start talking to your coworkers, and he's going to tell you, like, you need to start reading your devotional or, or go to Rooted or go to the first step class this Wednesday night or begin to volunteer in your local church. Begin to, if those attend online, begin to commit to the online campus team that's growing. I don't know what he's going to tell you, but we want you to pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, what would you have me do? Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Luke, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Let me give you some background. If you're new to the gospel of Luke, the author is Luke, and he traveled with Paul as Paul started churches all over the Roman Empire. And he gives an account of Jesus for directly from the early disciples and from Paul that he is going to write down because a man named Theophilus asked him to do that. We know from the first four verses of Luke chapter 1 that Theophilus is the one that asked him to do this. And the book is actually two parts. It's Luke, Acts, all one giant book. And Luke talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the book of Acts talks about the early church and how it got started after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Luke, in particular, was thought to be an educated person. He wrote in the most complex Greek we have in the New Testament. It's thought that he was a physician in the first century. And so to translate Luke is actually fairly difficult, where the Apostle John, who wasn't educated, it's very simple to translate what he writes. If you thought that the Bible was originally written in English or even Latin, it was not. It was written in the New Testament in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so when we get to Luke, we also get some stories that we don't find in the other Gospels. And this story in particular speaks directly to the culture that Jesus is living in in that context. And it says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts that thing up on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Did you hear that? There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause. Uh, we all had to fight to, to get in here and to check our kid in and to find a parking spot and get up early on a weekend, God. And we just pray for a moment that you would help our minds to rest. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here where two or more are gathered, and we pray that you would speak to our souls today in a way perhaps we've never experienced. For those who have been Christians a long time, that you might challenge and strengthen our faith. For those of us who felt uncomfortable walking into a space like this, that we started this church for people just like this, may we experience your love and compassion in this passage. We love you, Jesus, and we give you today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, I'm going to cut to the chase, man. I mean, that story is really simple, right? Jesus leaves the 99 for the one, and we're going to break that down. But I'm always moved at the unselfishness that Jesus demonstrates in this passage. Because I've got three children. That's the stage of life I'm in right now. You may not be there. But one thing I have learned, that every single human being has the capacity to be selfish. Would you agree? Like all of us do. It's just part of our makeup. So when Galatians, or Galatians 2.20 says that Paul declares, I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God. Like there's this part where we have to die to self, but it doesn't come natural to us. I didn't have to teach a single one of my children to be selfish. They just knew how to do it from day one. They're little prodigies, actually. And my son, who's three years old, I swear to you, I could preach a sermon every single weekend about him. He still is extremely in that stage of, you remember when you're a kid and like you, you eat cereal in the morning and you want the cereal box in front of you so you can look at the back of it? You remember that? He's in that stage, dude. And if you take the cereal box, he'll be like, no, that's mine. Give it to me. You ever been like that? Some of you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what it is. If he had it in his hand, it's mine. Don't touch it. My wife bought our children balloons because school started. And when they came home, she tied them to the mailbox, right? Well, the three-year-old declared one of those balloons that has helium in it, right? He declared, that's my balloon. It's mine. And he only cares about it's mine when other people want it, right? You know how that goes? So he's like, that's mine. Don't touch it. And if he will instantly walk into our one room that has a higher ceiling where there's a loft up above, and then about 30 seconds after people stop paying attention, he releases the balloon, right? Come on, it's what kids do. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. It seems a head shake. And the balloon will go up and it will float up towards our loft. Then the three-year-old will go up to the loft, try to pull himself up on top of the railing that now is about a 14-foot drop below him as he's trying to reach out and grab the balloon. 
And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, I swear, I don't know how many times I could tell you. They're like, Jet. And I go running up to the top, and I'm like, Jet. Like, what are you doing, buddy? You could fall off. You might die. And your mom and dad, we love you. We don't want anything to happen to you. And he naturally goes, oh, I see the reason in your ways now, Father. (laughs) Thank you for helping me understand. I will cease doing that anymore. No! He goes, no, Daddy, it's mine. I want it. And here I am trying to protect him from the very thing that could cause him pain and suffering, right? Any good father or mother would do the very same thing. And I've realized at every stage in my life, and even the ones to come, this temptation to want to take my life and go, no, God, it's mine. Can't touch it. Don't do it. And God is actually trying to help me have a life that when I get to heaven, I actually am proud of. And yet I just think, God, no, I, I don't, you know, the stuff is the natural place we all go. No, this is my stuff. You can't have it's my car and my house and I earned it. No, but it also applies to other areas of our life. When we see someone who is hurting, the Bible teaches us when we help them, it's like we're helping Jesus himself or even his angels. And we say, no, God, I don't have time. I got to get my work done. I got my important things in my life. And I got to watch that Netflix episode because I'm all the way through season four. And if I don't not watch the next one, I'm just, my life is going to end. Isn't it crazy how we justify the simplest things almost like a toddler would? And so as I read Luke chapter 15, and I see this compassion that Jesus has, leaving the 99 for the one, uh, the big idea that I want you to remember is it takes relinquishing self-control. I have died and no longer live, and I care more about honoring God and honoring other people than I do myself. It's the way of following Jesus. It can happen in the school place with your person with a locker next to you. It can happen with your teachers. It can happen with your friends and your family and your coworkers. And so if you're taking notes, I got just two really simple points, and I want to demonstrate why we're doing all of this as a church. To answer that question, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Number one, the first point I'd like to make is that sheep go astray. Sheep go astray. That should go without saying, but read the passage with me. It says this in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The first point I'd like to make is, part of relinquishing control of your life is protecting yourself all of the time. See, the weird thing is about Jesus that he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And we read that today with our 21st century minds and we go, yes, that's what I love about Jesus. He's so cool. He loves everybody. No, 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 no. Like the tax collectors. Nobody liked the tax collectors. These were the people that not only took money for Rome, but actually took money off the top too that they didn't deserve. These were the people that stole from your grandmother who lived alone on social security and can't pay her bills. Hanging out with the tax collectors. And you know the sinners, right? Like that's, that wouldn't be you. That wouldn't be anybody here, of course. (laughs) Actually, the Bible, as I'll say, says that Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That everyone in this story is a sheep. 
and sheep aren't intelligent animals. But you know the sinners, right? That person you went to high school with that made some poor decisions and that had consequences in their life and it messed up their life and now they're a wreck. And we look at them and we go, oh yeah, see, that's why I won't want my kids to be like that. You better learn. The, the actions are, your actions have caused consequences in your life. And Jesus leaves the holy huddle and he runs over to that person, it says. The type of God that we serve has compassion for every single one of his creation. And we know the scriptures teach that not everyone will receive faith in Jesus Christ. Not everybody will get to do that beautiful thing, repent. They won't all choose to do that. But his desire is that every one of the people that he created would turn to him and run home to him, receive him, because he desires to protect you just like a desire to protect my son, man. And see, it goes on in verse 3, then Jesus told this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous uh, people that we just sang about who do not need to repent. Now, that makes sense to many of us, but what I would like to push each of us with, it's not just the people who have made poor choices and got into addictive habits. If you're here and you're struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction or you've messed up your life with sexual relationships or whatever that temptation is in your life, I want to tell you that he's going to leave the 99 for you. He's not giving up on you. He loves you and he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. You know who else he's going to pursue? Those of us who on the exterior look like we've got everything in order and everything's going on, but on the inside we're angry, we've lost hope, we're broken, we wonder where God is sometimes. And while we might not always feel his presence and we may not always hear his voice, he is right there along with us. He's going to pursue us and pursue us if we are a sheep that has gone astray. And I want to tell you, anybody grow up in the country here? Okay, a lot of you may not have experienced that. While I did live in Southern California for seven years, I grew up in a small town in Indiana. I've been around farm animals. Pigs, fairly intelligent animals. May not know that. Sheep, not so much. They are dumb. They will just follow anything and go astray and try and do it. That's why you have to have a herder because it's very difficult to keep them together. And so it's easy for sheep to go astray. We get distracted by things in this life, like pursuit of our jobs and our careers and trying to find this elusive thing called happiness. And we're always chasing after that next little nugget. And we finally think our life is going to make sense. And it says that as we go astray, he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. He's never going to give up even if you got distracted by silly things in this world like relationships and jobs and money and stuff and you've ingested and breathed things into your body that were bad for you, he's not going to give up. And even if you got distracted by your kids' sporting events and that became your God or it became the the next house or more room for the family or whatever it is that drives all of your decision-making, he's going to pursue you like you're that one sheep that has gone astray. He's never going to give up. So number one, all sheep go astray. But number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus loves us so much, he'd leave his job for us. That's something all of us as Americans really value. If you go to a party, it's one of the first questions we ask, man, what do you do for a living? And then we place you like in a category based on that response, which in and of itself is pretty silly. Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. You know what that makes him? Bad at his job. 
right? I mean, think about that. If you're going to leave those 99, you could end up losing the 99. And we think, okay, uh, we don't really understand the significance of that. That is basically like putting your whole financial portfolio on the line. Because that's where their wealth was, was in their livestock. And he says, oh, I don't care. I I love that one so much. I'm going to pursue it until I can bring it home. And if, and if they do stray, I'm going to pursue them as well. The trick is to listen to the good shepherd's voice, the Bible teaches us, to hear God and to follow him. That you're not a very good shepherd if you risk the 99 for the one. That he's willing to, for us today, if we applied this, to risk his job, to risk his house and his boat, to give up anything if one more person would receive Christ eternally. I don't know if you remember when we studied heaven back this spring, but I know when I get to heaven, when we get to heaven, if we know Jesus, we've turned to him, and we've accepted his forgiveness, when we get there, we're not going to be celebrating all the things that we thought were important in this life. We're going to celebrate the things that actually last eternally. By the way, that doesn't start when you're like uh, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. That, that starts when you're like a 13-year-old. If you're here in a middle schooler or a high schooler or a young adult man, God is calling us even then to, go, to die to self, to say all sheep go astray, and, and how can God use my life? How can I risk anything so that I could see one more person come to know Jesus? Risk anything short of sin will do it. That's his desire. That's why in verse 44, he says he'll leave the 99 for the one, that all good followers of Jesus would risk everything, leave their, leave their job, give up their energy and their time. They'd sell the car and their home if the Lord is calling them to do something like that. And I don't know about you, man, as I get more comfortable in life, sometimes I just want to keep protecting my time and my energy. And when God gives me opportunities to love people, I just go, I don't know, I don't really want to, because if I do that, then I'm going down this rabbit hole. And God wants to say, I put this opportunity in front of you, follow me in it. It's what Jesus would do. And if you want to follow him, you may have salvation, but if you want to follow him, you have to be willing to put everything on the line that someone might know the compassion of God in this lifetime, that it may truly change their life eternally. It's the way of following Jesus. It's what we're called to do as Christians. So in the main, remaining time we have as a church, I just want to share with you where we're going as a church. And I shared the big picture, and I want to give you some of the details of it, that we would do anything if another person would come to faith in Jesus. And I don't know if you've seen in the word compassion is actually the word compass. And this is going to serve as kind of a, a, a reminder for us as a church what we're about to do over the next few years, that we would turn our compass towards compassion, that we would turn our compass towards others, God first, others second, I'm third. What would that look like in your life right now? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, what would you have me do to reach one more person, to share the love of God with another human being? I want to tell you, if you begin to pray that prayer, how important it is See, when this church got started, some of you, you're new to the church and you don't know the story and I want to share it to you. It it really started with a prayer. And I was working at a large church in Southern California. I'd been there for almost seven years and I got a free ticket to a conference on Twitter. And to save resources, it was outside of Atlanta, Georgia and I got the cheapest hotel room I could find and this pastor spoke at that conference and I knew that it was like God was speaking to me about what it would look like to get uncomfortable for Jesus again in my life. 
And I went to my hotel room, and I remember this distinctly, man. I got on my knees, and there were cigarette butts put out in the carpet, and the, the smell was wafting up into me, man. And I was just like, the Lord is here. And as I began to pray, uh, I remember this moment that I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I didn't hear the audible voice of the Lord or anything like that, but I experienced God in a way I never have, and never had and never have since. And I believe that God was calling us, my family and I, to move from Southern California to Indiana to start a church, and that three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. It sounded just insane then as it does today. And one of those guys was, they, they were three of my closest friends from high school. One was a Christian and lived in Indiana. One was not really fully a Christian yet. He knew about God, uh, but he didn't grow up in church and he was living in Muncie, and the other one was living in Southern California. While he was a believer, was going through a really difficult time in his life and was working for Entertainment Tonight out there. And I believe God was saying, those three people are going to go help you start a church. And I, I don't normally talk about this, but their names are actually Eric, uh, Brian, and Kyle. I told them I would share this this weekend. And Eric and his wife actually came up with the name Mercy Road Church. And they were really the only uh, one of the three that were attending any church at the time. And then the two other got super involved here. And Brian did all the videos for us for years. He ended up finding his wife and moved here from Southern California. And he's been uh, helping live on mission for a while now. He got baptized at the old building. Kyle uh, gave his life fully to Christ in the first couple of years. And as he grew in his faith, he got baptized right there a year ago with his wife. And they just had a child together. And so it's just, it's awesome now. Those friendships aren't just high school buddies. They are now spiritual relationships. And we get to talk about old stuff and new stuff and what God's doing in our life. It's awesome. And all of that started with a burden for compassion. So as you pray, God may speak to you. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, what would you have me do? And he may give you a burden for someone in your life. What I'm about to share is not about buildings or campuses. It's about people. That God could use you. Yes, you. This isn't like professional Christian land. God could use you. If you're attending online, God could use you to change the eternal outcome of a human being. That if one sheep goes astray, Jesus would leave the 99 for them. And so here's what we intend to do as a church. We invite you to begin to pray and fast, and you can catch up on that this week. The devotionals are online. It's all going to be leading up to the dinners I'll share here in a moment. But it kind of went like this. Here was the story. We thought we were going to go start a campus in Fishers. And as we began to pray, and, and I got a map here that'll demonstrate some of this. As we began to pray about it, we realized, okay, yes, we got hundreds of people over there. This makes sense. We've been praying for three years. And in January, we announced that. And over the last couple of months, we had some things happen that were completely unplanned. And it changed everything. In June, we heard from someone that there's a potential, at least, that we could have a building donated to us in Anderson, Indiana. Good chance it won't happen, but the potential is there. And we went up and visited the facility, and it's a, a low-income area of Anderson. And we started going, man, a campus here to plant would look very different than in the Fisher's Geist area. And again, we're going to have live teaching. The campus pastor will become the lead pastors in those locations uh, we're we're going to empower and multiply. We're not just going to report back to one central location. We're going to change the state. 
through Multiply Indiana and then through Mercy Road Church as well. And so as we began to pray about that, we said, well, what would it look like to have a bigger vision for what God could do with us? And during that time, six weeks ago, we got contacted about potentially doing a, a campus to plant downtown Indianapolis on Mass Avenue. And that campus would look very different than the other two. It looked more similar to the ministry I did in Southern California in an urban context with the 18 to 30-year-olds for a, a long time. And I started getting excited about that, and it wouldn't be as much financially in order to do that or the one in Anderson. And literally, just about three weeks ago, I was in a vision meeting and was drawing this up on the board. And we realized, you know, we only have one person on our staff that could be a campus pastor who could become a lead pastor right now. He's called to do it. And we've, he's been on our team for three years. We know he would know the DNA. The thing is, he grew up in Carmel. And so he would either lead a location here or potentially even west of here. And so we got the idea of potentially going west. That same day, literally the same day, a couple hours after that meeting, we got contacted by a board member who was in commercial real estate. And he said, hey, there's a building that's exactly like what we're looking for that would be a low cost. It's been foreclosed on. And we could purchase this building and we could renovate the building and lease out the upstairs to all of the nonprofits and apostolic leaders that we're connecting with through the Multiply Conference and through Multiply Resources. And we could lease this out to, to Multiply Resources and then we could have this kind of incubator there at the facility and it would pay lease so that potentially, no promises, but that we could even almost meet there for free as a church in the downstairs area. And it, the building was significantly bigger than this location with more parking, but would be less cost up front. And so we were like, man, this is amazing. And we have a leader that Luke and I could go between these two campuses and we could actually see this happen. But we didn't want to slow anything up in Fishers and it won't. And so what we began to say is, well, what would this look like if we had two more kind of plants going north and south and two campus to plants going east and west? And we decided if we raised $3 million over three years for these four campuses, we could allow $1.25 million to the one to the west and to the east and two fifty to the north and south. And that rather than just planting one campus, we could actually do four and that's when things got really nuts. And it was when we drew this up there, and it's not a perfect compass, but to represent north, south, east, and west, the four directions we would go while retaining this location, we began to realize, you know what? This is actually possible, but it would be insane. And I drew it up on the board, and I thought this was nuts. And Eric Maitland, our worship leader, I shared last week, he goes, that's the first time we've said something that feels like something Mercy Road would do, because it seemed nuts. And then we began to pray and realize, you know what, this could actually happen. And so when that happened, this person that contacted us about this facility, uh, we couldn't make an offer from the church, but it was a foreclosed building. And so uh, his company made an offer and they would just purchase it if the church didn't want it. And they accepted the offer. And we thought we were going to get to tell you today the, the actual building, but this is going live out online, and it's a foreclosed building, and rather than hearing on Tuesday that everything's locked in and we just have to close, uh, that we actually, it's going to be put up for bidding that other people can make bids on it until September 19th. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so we don't want anyone to know this. So here's what I will tell you. Because this is going live online, I'm not going to tell you the exact location of the building close to Michigan Road, but I will tell anybody in the lobby. 
Come and talk to me right afterwards, and I will tell you the building, and we want you to be praying about it, because if it actually happened, we would need to have the, the down payment of about a million dollars, which I, all this is just nuts, okay, by uh, October or even early November at the latest, and that's when I told the, the board and some of the commercial real estate people, I was like, guys, that's just insane. Like, I don't know. And we began to sh- map out how it could actually happen. And while we're not on the line for anything financially at this point, within the next few weeks, I think September 15th is when a, the deposit would go hard. And so we need your prayer, man, because this is a big thing and we need to figure out if this is possible or not. But we could potentially do all the stuff that was up there with the same amount of money we would have planted just one campus with because we scrappy. And this could happen. And we need your prayer. But don't forget why we're doing it. I have no intention of trying to develop the empire of Mercy Road Church. That's just silly. No intention of me or any of our leadership team being the ones to oversee stuff all over the place. We're going to train up, empower, and send out. And it comes from a place of compassion for other people who don't know Christ. And some of you, you missed when we were at that old building and we were a three-year-old church plant and we raised $900,000 within like a year. And there was, everybody told us it was completely impossible. We were told we could only raise $250,000 in two years. This was an expert And so when we tell people that, I want to tell you that God can do immeasurably more, but it won't happen, not just financially. The bigger piece is the time and the energy that it will take to pull all of this off for people getting out the seats that are too comfortable here, as I said last week, and saying, I'm going to be used. I'm going to stop putting me first, God second, other third, and I'm going to put God first, others second, and myself third. And if I got to leave everything in my life to chase after that one person that doesn't know Jesus yet, I'm going to do it because I'm going to die someday. And I don't get to take any of this stuff with me. I don't get to take any of the business accomplishments with me. I don't get to take any in the praise and the honor of people in this lifetime with me. All I get is the praise of my heavenly father who tells me, well done, good and faithful servant. And those that I got to tell about Jesus to them, and it changed their life eternally, and they got to live with them. And it's going to take some of the middle schoolers and high schoolers going, I'm not going to be ashamed of the good news I've received. I'm going to go out and live differently, not angrily with a bullhorn type of lifestyle, but in a way that I demonstrate compassion to people who need it. And to the adults in the room that you're going to go, I don't care the direction our society is going. I'm not going to sit around and complain, and I'm not going to critique culture and critique conservative Christians. I'm just going to go out and share the good news of Jesus with people. I'm going to be empowered by his Holy Spirit that we studied about, and I'm going to live with no regrets that we just completed, and I'm going to use that to demonstrate compassion to people who need it. I'm going to help those in need and share my faith, and I don't care who knows it. That's what it will take. And so that verse, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, is incredibly important in 1 Samuel 3 in the second half of verse 10. As we ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do in this season? And as I close this time together, I just want to remind you of what the rest of Luke chapter 15 says. 
He doesn't just say he'd leave the 99 for the one. He says, if I lose one coin, if I lose one human life, I'm going to sweep the whole house. I put my whole calendar, my whole schedule on hold until I find that lost coin. He says at the very end, the prodigal son story, that when the son goes out and squanders all of his inheritance and makes really bad decisions, right? Because the the sheep that went astray did it because they made some bad, ill-behaved decisions. And the prodigal son thought, I can't ever go home because my father will never accept me. He will only judge me. And the Bible tells us that our good heavenly father, when he sees the son who squandered everything or the daughter today that squandered everything and turned their backs on him, it says that rather than being angry, he runs to him with open arms, the robe coming up indignantly because he does not care. And when he gets to, he wraps his loving arms around you and welcomes you home because you were lost and now we're found. And he says, we're going to have a party because this this, this son or this daughter of mine who was lost has been found. Get the fattened calf, baby. We're going to eat well tonight. We're going to get a ring out, put that on his finger. We're going to get the fancy robe and dress you up because I love you and I'm going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. And I know what you did last night, and I know what you did the weekend before, and I know the words that came out of your mouth, and I know the animosity that is in your heart, and I know the things that you did with that person that you knew was an unhealthy dating life, and he goes, I am not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to pursue you. Don't turn your back on me. I'm trying to love you. Please come home. And so if anybody today didn't know the depth of your father's love for you. I hope you do. I hope you understand that compassion and you share it with others. Will you pray with me? Jesus, right now, there are many of us as Christians who if we prioritize what we want with our lives, God, and may we relinquish that control, may we begin to demonstrate the compassion you've given us to others. If that's you in the room right now, pray this with me. God, I I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you and for other people. And so I give you everything in my life, my energy, the the resources you've entrusted me with, my time, my talents. God, I, I surrender it all to you. Use me, God. And then for others today. When we're talking about the the lost sheep or the lost coin or the prodigal son or daughter that's come home to their heavenly father, you know that's you. You know he's been speaking to you and you're going to stop running from him and you're going to allow him to wrap his loving arms around you to welcome you home with love and compassion. You're going to ask for forgiveness and receive his grace and mercy. Repent of your wrongdoing and say, God, I'm yours. So if that's you, pray this with me. God, I confess I'm not perfect and I need you. Thank you that you love me despite my decisions. I surrender everything in my life to you. Thank you for forgiveness, God. I repent and turn to you fully. Lord, you know those that just prayed that right now. May they receive your grace and mercy. May it be life-changing. May they tell someone today to go on and change this world to look the way you desire it to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.